Edith Smith had eight kids, most of them younger. She went down the street to visit her neighbor, left the oldest kids in charge. And when she got back home, she walked across the grass, looked through the front door, and she noticed her five youngest kids all in a circle in the living room looking down at something. As she got a little bit closer, she noticed what they were looking at. They had five baby skunks in the living room. Edith opened the door, yelled at the kids, run, run, and she took off. She heard footsteps behind her, and when she turned around, there were all five kids, each holding one of the skunks. You know, sometimes difficult things happen in life, and sometimes they stink. And, and you know, that, that's life. We're going to have difficulty in this life. Chippy the parakeet was minding his own business. He was sitting on a perch in his cage. His owner decided she was going to clean out the bottom of the cage, and so she got the vacuum cleaner. She took that long nozzle that, that's sharp pointed on the end off and just had the bare hose, and she stuck it in the cage when all of a sudden the phone rang. She laid the hose down, went to answer the phone, and then she heard the sound. She looked around, and Chippy was gone. She opened the vacuum cleaner, turned it off, and there was Chippy in all that mess, all that dust and, and all that gunk that had come out of the house. Immediately, she swooped him up, took him into the bathroom, turned on the running water and started scrubbing his feathers and ruffling them up and all that. And then when she got through, she looked, and Chippy was just shivering. So she grabbed the blow dryer, and she began to pound him with that hot air and all that. And, you know, sometimes in life things happen. And, you know, you get sucked up, you get washed up, you get blowed up. Somebody asked her, how's Chippy doing? She said, well, he sits on his perch, but he don't sing much anymore. And, you know, sometimes in life I feel like Chippy. I feel like I've been sucked up, I've been washed up, I've been blowed up, and difficulty just comes into this life. Now... It's not all bad. There's a lot of good times in life. We have a lot of good times, but we have some bad times as well. We're continuing our series today called Wisdom for the Journey. We've been looking at the wisdom literature in your Bible. That's the books of Job, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. We went through the Psalms and looked at three different ones. We talked about uh, Hebrew poetry that most of this literature is written in, though a little bit of it is some narrative writing and, and things, but, but most of it is Hebrew poetry, and we learned a little bit about that. Today we're going to look at, or uh, we're going to begin to look at the other four books from the Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and we're going to start in the book of Job, and we're going to think about a specific idea, and the topic of the message today is a big question the journey reveals. Because as we go through this life, we're all going to come with this question. And I ask this question today, why does a good God allow pain and suffering in the world? That's a question that has haunted people since the beginning of time. Why does a good God allow pain and suffering 
in this world. Today, this book that we're going to look at, this book of Job, gives us some wisdom about that subject, about the idea of suffering. So turn in your Bibles or pull it up on your phone, however you do it, to the book of Job. Now, we don't have time to read the whole book, but we're going to look at some specific passages that will help us understand the wisdom that God wants to impart to us about this idea of suffering. We don't know who wrote this book. Some people have speculated, but it's mere speculation. Some think Moses wrote it before he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Some think that maybe there was a man named Job and he wrote the book himself. We don't know, but we believe it was given to us by God, inspired by God, and it's got wisdom that he wants us to know. Now, we can know a little bit about Job. The first few verses there tell us he was a man from the east. Uh, We might say east of what? And probably since it's in our Hebrew Bible, east of Israel. We know that uh, he was from a place called Uz. That's not Oz as in the wizard of, but it's Uz, U-Z. We don't really know where that's at either. A couple of things that we can speculate about Job, though, Uh, since he was not mentioned as being in Jerusalem or in Israel. He may not have been a Hebrew, but he was a believer in God. And the text says he was wealthy. He had livestock, and he had servants, and he had seven sons and three daughters, and and they feasted a lot. And so he, he was a wealthy man. The Bible also says Job was a godly man. It says he was blameless and upright and he feared God and he shunned evil. But look with me here at Job chapter 1 and we're going to look at the first few verses of that. One day, verse 6, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came to them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered, Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you, you have put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flock and his herds are spread throughout the land. Now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Well, we find out, text says, Satan went out from the Lord's presence, and then the next thing we read is a messenger came, and he brought news to Job. Look, Job, Sabaeans have come and made off with Job uh, with his oxen and his donkeys. Then another messenger shows up. Fire fell from heaven and burned up your sheep and your shepherds. Then another uh, uh, messenger comes. Chaldean reigning party come and took all of your camels and all of your servants. Still another messenger came and said to Job, Your sons and daughters were feasting and and uh, a mighty wind struck the house, and all are dead. Now we might think about how we would react to that. Verse 20 tells us that this 
Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. That was a sign of mourning in that culture. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Think about this. Job was a faithful man of God, but he faced much suffering. Now, there's two realms of action going on as we read this. First of all, there's Job and his family here on earth, but there's also something going on in heaven. God and Satan are having a conversation. Satan was once an archangel. We read in Revelation that he got kicked out of heaven. It does not expressly say why, but we can probably assume here from the way Satan deals with the people of the earth why he may have uh, been kicked out. He was trying to get Job to go against God. In this first chapter here, we find out this Job lost every earthly possession he had except his family. We learn later he still got his wife. Maybe a couple of servants are still alive. You know, I think God's trying to show us that Job is sort of every man. He's all of us. You know, at some point in life, all of us will be in the land of ooze. We may not face the catastrophe he did, but we'll all face pain and suffering in various degrees. It's going to happen in this life. I've, this past week, experienced some pretty tough pain and suffering. One of those was we had to deal with 110 kids here at, at Vivid all week long. To make matters worse, I dropped my cell phone. We went for a boat ride last Sunday afternoon and cleaning up and getting ready to go and boom my phone I turned around hit something knocked it out of my hand it bounced on the dock one time and went right into the lake gone I thought well I'll get another one tomorrow no it was Friday night before I got my new phone and got it all set up and all week long I kept reaching for my pocket for my phone and some of you will say well that wouldn't be a big deal for me but I have my calendar on there I I text messages from all of you and phone calls and and there were people saying calling Jeanette why is Mark not calling me back and it was frustrating now it wasn't the suffering that Job faced or even the suffering that David Hackers faced in the last couple of days or even what Cooper and Chris are going through right now but it was it was it was tough But the real question we ought to be thinking about is this. Will Job, or me, or you, or anybody else that goes through suffering, we shouldn't be asking, why is God causing that? The real question we ought to be asking ourselves is, will we stay faithful to God even when we go through suffering? We go to chapter 2, and again, there are two realms here. God and Satan, first of all. Verse 2 says, On another day the angels came to present themselves before God, before the Lord, and Satan came also with them to present himself before the Lord and said, And the Lord said to Satan, 
Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands, but you must, separate, must spare his life. You know, interesting thing, Job doesn't know this conversation's going on in heaven. He doesn't really know what happened, what's happening. You know, Job didn't even have a Bible in his day. We believe this was written long before any other parts of the Bible. He had little understanding of God, although he worshipped God. And Satan claims to God about Job that he's only in the worship for what he can get, what he can have for his own self. But God allowed Satan to test Job. You know, we live in a world where there's going to be times of testing. This world is messed up. We've talked about this before. And God does allow Satan to exist. In fact, he kicked him out of heaven, but he sent him to earth. And he tempts people, and people fall to temptation all the time. You know, God created a pristine world for us to live in. A place where he put Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve went against God's will. They sinned, and as a result, we've all inherited the sin nature of Adam and Eve, and we fall all fall into sin. None of us is perfect. But you know what? God is not naive. God knows, God knows Job's heart. And God is using this situation with Job for his own glory and for our benefit. He's using this to teach us, to show us when his people are faithful and they stick with him, God will be faithful to him. You know, God knows our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. Look at what happens next. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. You know, he never cursed God. He never blamed God. He did question God, as we'll see. You know, folks like to point their finger at Job's wife and say, look at how evil and nasty she was. But you think about it. She lost all she had to. She lost her sons and her daughters. She lost a... Uh, and now she's dealing with a, a sick husband. Maybe we shouldn't point the finger so quick. The thing we ought to notice is that verse 10... Where Job says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You know, do we only trust God when things are going well? It's natural to want to question God when things are not going well. 
But I want you to notice that Job stayed faithful. And though he's struggling, he never, he never said, curse God or gave up on God. Now, something interesting happens next. Three friends come to be with Job. Uh, Elphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Naamanite, came for sympathy. They came to comfort their friend Job. And it's interesting. They got there, they could hardly recognize Job. And they began to weep themselves. And they tore their robes, which was the custom to mourn. And they put dust on their heads. They sat with Job in silence for seven days and seven nights. You know, so powerful is that. It's a custom of the, uh, became a custom of the Jewish people when someone lost a loved one or, or something, some catastrophe happened to, to go and sit with them for a week and mourn with them there together. There's power in that. In Romans 12, 15, the Apostle Paul tells us to, to mourn with those who mourn. And so we should be with those who are, are grieving and spend time with this. You know what the Bible doesn't say? It never says, go to those that are mourning and give them advice. Go to those that are mourning and, and try to explain why everything went wrong or, or try to fix them or tell them, just snap out of it and get over it. It never tells us to do that. It just says simply to mourn with those who mourn. Now, there may come a time when people do have to, to get up and, and get on with life, but people have to work through at their own pace when they face suffering. And they need other people to mourn with them during those times. Well, after a time of silence with his friends, Job finally speaks. Chapter 3, verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of which my birth may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived that day may it turn to darkness may God above not care about it on and on he goes about the day of his birth he said I wish I'd never been born and on and on he rattles for a time about that what I want you to see next, though, is Job and his friends debated the cause of his suffering. It all starts there with Job cursing the day of his birth. And for the next 34 chapters, Job spews out bitterness and anger, and others come to him and, and try to explain it to him. And most of what they try to explain is, Job, you must have done something to make God mad at you. That's much of the thought uh, centered around the thinking of that day. Whatever you experienced is because of what you've brought on yourself, because of the way you live. That kind of thinking said, you know, if you're prospering, it's because you've done good. If you're suffering, it's because you've done bad. You know, that thought even gets into some church circles today. And I'm not saying that when you do bad, you won't have to suffer. But you know, that kind of thinking just takes God out of the picture. And we never think about the fact that God may be involved some way. It leaves God out of the situation. We know that God allowed this situation. We also should know that God uses suffering. 
He doesn't cause it all, but he does use it. And sometimes he does cause us to suffer. Sometimes God disciplines the people that he loves because they get off path. And he brings something in their path that's going to cause them to suffer. Sometimes God is trying to correct us when we have to suffer. He's trying to get us to move in a different direction. Sometimes God uses suffering to teach us something. Teach us to, to persevere through trouble. Sometimes he's growing us to show us that we are strong enough to overcome something that comes in our path. Sometimes God is trying to strengthen us because we're going to have to go through something worse in the future. God uses suffering in all kinds of ways. Well, let me show you what happened after those 34 chapters of back and forth with Job and his three friends and, and them blaming Job for what's going on. Verse chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Think about this. It's storming. It's, it's even worse now because there's lightning and thunder and God's voice comes through. Who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? He's saying, Job, you and your friends, you just don't understand. You need to pay attention. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. I love this next verse. It'll make you think. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? You know, you think you know it all? Where were you when I created the earth? Huh? How did I do that? How did I create this earth? What part did you have in it? Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know you're so smart. And on and on, God goes. And he reminds those people of all this vast creation and how he is the one that brought it into being. And this is what God does. Throughout these next verses, he reveals his sovereignty and Job's lack of understanding. He's showing Job that he's the one that's in charge and reminding him of that, and he makes Job think in the chapters that follow. You know, if we just look at some of the things that God talks about, I love verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? You know, if you're, Job, have you ever made the sun come up? No. And he goes on in verse 16. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me, do you know about this? You see, he's trying to show Job that he's the one that's in charge. Verse 22, in a few verses that follow, he reminds us he's the one that creates the snow and the hail and the lightning. He goes on to remind Job he brings the rain and the dew and the ice and the frost. All this stuff. I love verse 22. 1 of chapter 39. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? I, I don't think I've ever seen a mountain goat. 
he goes on a little bit further and brings up the ostrich. You know, in the grand scheme of things, how significant is an ostrich? I mean, I've seen one in a zoo, but we don't think about ostriches here. I don't even think they exist except for in zoos in the United States. But he points out the fact that even though this is a big, goofy animal, he can outrun a horse. You see, God's trying to show Job that all these obscure things, he even cares about those things. He cares about the mountain goat, and he cares about the ostrich. And he's reminding Job that, Job that he's the God who created everything. He's the one that allows everything or causes everything. And we may never know why he created the mountain goat or the ostrich, but he did. It's his universe, and he doesn't have to give us an explanation. He doesn't have to give us an explanation of why he does anything. Chapter 40, verse 1 and 2, The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. He's saying, Job, if you have an accusation to bring, he knew what was in Job's mind. God, why did you let this happen? And he's saying to Job, come on, Job, speak to me. Job then begins, I think, to realize that he's not as nearly as great as he thought he was, even though he's one of the most powerful, most wealthy men in the world. And he realizes that God is far superior. And then Job sort of offers a, an apology there, verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice but I will say no more. And God responds once again. This is some of the most powerful scripture in the Bible. Then God spoke to Job out of the storm. He hadn't stopped the storm through all this conversation they're having. Maybe that lightning and thunder just reminding Job of who God is. Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like His? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Underneath the fury of your wrath, look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand, bury them all in the dust together, shroud their faces in the grave, then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Job, I want you to think for a minute about what you cannot do. You can't control the world. You can't control the evil that's in the world. Job, you can't even save yourself. Now that'll make you think for a minute. Because there's so many people in this world that think because of who they are, because of their goodness, they're one day going to stand in the presence of God. But they never will until they humble themselves before this great God of the universe. 
Job is humbled, and he demonstrates his trust in God. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. You can hear the humility in his voice. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, when you come before the Lord humbly, and you realize who he is, and you see him for who he is, you can't help but humble yourself and say, okay, God, that's all in your hands. And that's where he's got Job. And what Job finds out is how big God is, and how powerful God is, and how creative God is with all the animals and, and the plants and the waters that he's created. Some of them, even we wonder why they exist, but God just created them perhaps to show us his creativity and his splendor. And Job also finds out that God knows that we suffer. And God knows why we suffer. And he loves us enough to go with us and come to us when we suffer. And God reminds Job and his three friends that they are in the wrong, especially the three friends, because they had not been speaking truth about God. He says to them, go to Job, I find that ironic, and make some sacrifices, which he tells them what to sacrifice, on your own behalf, and Job will pray for you, and then I will forgive you. And Job does just that. Chapter 42, verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house and they comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. And he also was given seven more sons and three more daughters. Here's our connection. The lesson of the book is that we must trust God in all circumstances even when we don't understand. You know, Job never finds out about the conversation in heaven. But Job's story is our story. And you know, God may be having the same conversation in heaven with Satan about you. He may be saying, what about my servant Kathy? What about my servant Bill or Charlie? What, a, what about my servant Linda? Have you considered them? And maybe sometimes God is trying to show Satan. There's people on this earth that love me, Satan. 
And they're not just in it for what they can get. They're in it because they know who I am. And they know that I'm the Creator. When you drop your cell phone in the lake, or when you have an illness, or an accident, or a relationship problem, or a financial problem, just consider that maybe God's up to something. Maybe God's trying to teach us that there's going to be difficulty, but who are you going to trust in when you go through that difficulty? You're going to trust the stuff and the things of this world? You're going to spend all your time in the land of ooze? Because trust me, we're all either in suffering, we have suffered, or we're going to suffer. And we may never know why. And we may not even know how long it's going to last. You see, but how we respond matters. It's going to matter to God. And it really is going to matter to us in the long run. Because there is a God in heaven who has the power to restore you. Twofold he restored Job. And the big question we should ask as we go along the journey is not, Lord, why are you causing me to suffer? No. The question we ought to think about is, when I suffer, when I suffer, will I still trust God? You know, there's a famous jo uh, verse in Job we skip right over. Chapter 13, verse 15. Job says this, Though he, God, slay me, yet will I hope in him. Job's saying it doesn't matter what God brings on me, I believe he's the creator, and he's the one that's going to save us. And that, my friends... Is Job's wisdom for the journey. Let's pray. Father, we, we know there's pain and suffering in this world, and often we, it's human nature to want to question, why God? Why me? Why this? Why now? When will it be over? How's it going to turn out? But the real key is that we all need to make it a point in our minds to decide here and now that no matter what we face in this world, in this life, that we're going to hope and trust in you because you're the creator and you're the only one that knows the answer to these questions. And you may never reveal the answer this side of heaven. And the only way we'll get there is if we hope and trust in you. For it's in your name that we pray and praise today. Amen.